I'll ask you to take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, I want to speak on the subject of consider well the fight in which we are engaged, Amen. consider well the fight in which we are engaged. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, I'll be reading verses 10 through 13. Let's stand together as we read together, me reading aloud, you reading silently. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, <clears throat> finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that, you may be that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Father, we ask that you would speak into our hearts this evening. Father, we, I am a weak vessel. I have it not in myself as a mortal man to do justice to this glorious passage. I do not have it in myself to warm the hearts of these people with truth. I do not have it in myself to 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 see the text and to declare the text as I ought to declare the text in myself. But Father, we come in our weakness and we come to your strength. And we thank you for your strength. We thank you that you will speak through a weak vessel and we ask that you would bless your people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. So we're going to consider well the fight in which we are engaged, <clears throat> and I just had the <clears throat> words of Luther's song come into my mind, and not being able to quote it all, I brought my hymn book up here with me, <clears throat> and Luther sets the tone for this message. He says, a mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Amen. I'll read one more verse. And though this world with devils filled... Luther had a way of saying it, didn't he? Threw his inkwell at the devil one time. 
And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, and they do threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure, one little word shall fell him. That word, above all earthly powers, is the name of Jesus. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 through 13, and we need to consider well the fight in which we are engaged. We're too often seeing casualties of Christians all around us and churches, as well as conflicts in our midst as a church, conflicts in our homes, and conflicts in our individual lives. And I must say to you tonight that there is an active devil in our day. Paul speaks in Ephesians 6 about the Christian as the Christians as soldiers who are engaged in a warfare. We're in a battle. <clears throat> Have you ever noticed that Paul does not speak about this warfare plainly and openly until the very end of the letter? <clears throat> And even in the immediate context of of the Christian battle and the Christian soldier and the enemy who is against us or the enemies who are against us, in the immediate context, he begins not with our enemy or the fight, but he begins with the Lord and our need to be strong in him. And so in verse 10, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of of his might. And he hasn't even begun to talk about the battle or the enemy or the weapons of our warfare or the wiles of the devil or the principalities and powers and all of that. Why does Paul do that? Why does Paul begin in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 to unfold the 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 blessings of our blessed God bestowed upon undeserving, unworthy, uh, spiritually dead, cold, hardened sinners. Why Why does he just take that whole passage of truth and talk about Christ and what he's done? And our heavenly Father, blessed be his holy name, who has blessed us, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he unfolds all of that in chapters 1, 2, and 3. There's nothing about a conflict. It's all about victory in Christ. And then in chapter 4, 5, and 6, at least the first part of chapter 6, Paul talks about um, our, our, our worthy walk in light of our calling. We're 
We're to walk worthy of the calling wherewith we're called. And he outlines what the Christian life looks like, both in the, in the church context, in the, in the arena of the world, in the home with, with uh, wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving their wives, and in the work world where, where the servant is to, <coughs> is to please his master and do the work well, and all of these things. And Paul outlines it so beautifully. The worthy walk of the believer who, who is called and, and who is chosen and who is predestinated and for whom Christ died, and there's nothing really said about this spiritual battle, except perhaps redeeming the time because the days are evil. <clears throat> but now he comes to this passage, and even here, he begins with, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why does Paul do that? I say <clears throat> that at least because Christ has won the victory over Satan. Christ has won the victory over Satan, death, and hell by his finished work on the cross of Calvary. We have a glorious, victorious Lord. And as Luther said, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us because Christ has won the victory. Number two, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. In him, we have victory and a sure triumph. We are going to win this battle. We are going to experience God's victorious power over the evil one. And thirdly, God's almighty power is available to us in our fight and what power we have to fight. And so Paul, Paul pushes the conflict to the end of the book. It's not to minimize the conflict. It's not to say that we're not in a conflict. We are in a conflict. But Paul doesn't want us to always fill our minds with this conflict. Paul has spent... Six chapters talking about what God has done for us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what a glorious salvation he's given us. And then he outlines the Christian walk. And now he says, the context of that walk is that you're in a battle. And so I want to begin with verse 10. Consider well the source of your strength in the Christian fight. Consider well the source of your strength in the Christian fight. Now, if, if you just say, well, Frank, you preached a message on, on spiritual warfare and you preached a message on the battle that we're in and that we should consider well this, this Christian conflict, and <clears throat> I don't remember much of what you said, I just hope that you will take hold of some of these main points. Even as Pastor Pollard says, um, just get one thing, just get one of these main points and take it with you and try to consider it well. Try to, try to sit down and think about it and consider it. But let's consider it together. Paul says you are to be strong in the Lord. He says be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now that's glorious. That, that is absolutely glorious. 
that we're not entering into this fray, into this battle, into this conflict, into this fight in our own power and in our own strength. But there is a strength that is far above and beyond ours. This is what Paul had prayed for the Ephesian church in Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23, where he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. That's why I think this is not a circular letter as many commentators talk about. But Paul has heard about their faith, and Paul is writing to a specific church, and, 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 and he's heard of their faith in Jesus and their love unto all the saints. He says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. This is for believers. God has exerted the exceeding greatness of his power in Christ Jesus, and Paul wants them to see What is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So he's saying, I want you to know this power that is connected with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That this is where power was displayed. That a man who had died, the very God-man himself, who in his flesh died and was buried in the grave, and his heart was no longer beating, and there were no brain waves, and there was nothing alive in his body. And that body, on resurrection day, came forth and came to life. And that was power. And Paul wants us to know that power. He wants the Ephesian believers to know that power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principality. And this even is coordinate with the evil principalities and powers of our text that we just read. Far above all principality and power and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, I read all of that because Paul is saying to us, As believers, he's saying to the Ephesians and to us by extension, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And this power and this might is the same power 
as was exerted in raising his body from the dead. And this power is available for us. This power is ours. And then he prays again in Ephesians chapter 3. And in Ephesians 3 and verse 14, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to bow your knees to pray. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. It's resurrection power, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit working in the life of the believer. To be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That's power, Christ dwelling in your heart by faith. Christ residing within you by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in the love of God in Christ for you, having died on the cross to pay the price for your sins, there's power in that. There's power in love. The love of Christ constrains us. And we love him because he first loved us. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, to know something that passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Hallelujah. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's power. That you might be filled with the Holy Spirit of God in fullness. Now unto him that is able, that's a word of power, to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. How could the Ephesians read that for the very first time in in their little Greek manuscript and not carry chapter 1 and chapter 3 over to chapter 6 and see that Paul was talking about that same power. When he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Before you fight the Christian fight, believe in God's power. That's the beginning. Consider well the source of your strength in the Christian fight. Before you begin the Christian fight, believe in God's power. Learn more and more about his power. Cry out to him for more understanding of this glorious resurrection power in the person of the Holy Spirit abiding within you. Rely upon him for his power. Paul is saying, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Surely he means know that power, and surely he means rely upon him for the power and pray for his power as Paul was doing in chapter 1 and chapter 3. 
Pray for his power to superabound in your life in the Christian conflict. Pray for his power to superabound in your life. That he would do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think in your heart and life. And then realize that your strength does not come from yourself. Realize that you do not have that strength in yourself. You, you do not have the strength that it takes to take on the enemy of your soul in your power. You do not have that. I was reading in Sinclair Ferguson's commentary about <clears throat> how some of the saints of old would experience a time of darkness, a time of, of great spiritual darkness where blasphemous thoughts would come into their minds. Evil thoughts would come crashing in upon their minds. Outside of themselves, this would come upon them. And he mentioned Bunyan, the tinker of old who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and he mentioned Spurgeon. C.H. Spurgeon had at least an attack, if not more than one, where Satan came to him in darkness and attacked him and assaulted him. Well, realize that your strength does not come from your own self. And you cannot fight the devil in your power. You, you cannot... Fight him. You cannot resist him as the Bible commands you to in your own strength and power. If you're relying on, on yourself to resist the devil, you have no strength. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and he prayed to Christ for its removal, and the Lord told him that his grace was sufficient and that his strength was made perfect in human weakness. So Paul most gladly gloried in his weaknesses because when he was weak, then he was strong. And we have not the power in ourselves, but when we realize our weakness, when we realize our inability in ourselves, and we look to Christ and we rely upon his power and we cry out to him for his power, he gives us his power, the power that raised him from the dead, the power that, that comes with the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God's power opened the Red Sea, and God's power drowned the Egyptian army as the waters came crashing in upon those chariots. And Miriam and the other Israelite ladies cried out and sang with their timbrels and their dances, <coughs> that God had, had thrown the horse and his rider into the sea. <clears throat> I, I, I can hear the music, but the words are not there. <laughs> the Lord, my God, my strength, my song has now become my salvation. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord has triumphed gloriously. And though the Israelites were weak, and tired, and not prepared for war, God 
triumphed over the enemy. God's power was symbolized in the rod in Moses' hand. You know, the Bible says, and then came Amalek. And then came Amalek. And then comes Satan and all of his forces against us. And God's power was symbolized in the rod that Moses held. Joshua fought with Israel in the valley against Amalek, and they won the battle only as Moses held up God's rod. And yes, we can see there a symbol of intercessory prayer. But even more than that, what we see is that God won the battle for Israel. And it wasn't Joshua down in the valley who was winning that battle. And so when the rod of God was lifted up, God triumphed. And God showed his triumph because it was him doing it. God's power opened up the Jordan River and God's power won at the Battle of Jericho. And you remember that glorious story how the, the people and the armies all went across the Jordan on dry ground and then that the army compassed the city of Jericho and marched around it one time every day for six days. And on the seventh day, seven priests with seven trumpets or ram horns marched around the city six times, and on the seventh time around, they blew their trumpets, and the walls of the city crumbled down. Now, that was God. Oh, sure, you know, a Caruso can maybe sing with his beautiful voice and, and, and break a goblet of crystal, but only God can cast down the walls of Jericho Amen. after the ram's horns blow. And that was the power of God. And these were weak people. They couldn't do that in themselves. God's power killed Goliath with one smooth stone from David's little sling. The inexperienced David, as it were, in battle, although he had experience with his sling, he killed Goliath with one smooth stone because God was in it. And he defied the giant. In God's power. Paul said, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, and we truly are earthen vessels as we stand before you, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And oh, may God manifest the excellency of his power through his word. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Realize that. You are strong when you're weak and you're relying upon him. Number two, consider well that the Christian life is a fight, a battle, a conflict. Paul speaks of armor, put on the whole armor of God. He speaks of enemies that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. (coughs) He speaks of (coughs) wrestling, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, He speaks about the armor of the Christian, and and he unfolds all of that. Consider well that the Christian life is a fight, a battle, a conflict. The Christian life is, is not a life of ease. It's not a life where everything always goes smoothly. Thankfully, sometimes things go very smoothly. But it is a battle. 
it is a conflict. Young people who are, who are new to Christ and new to the faith, your Christian life is going to be a battle. Your Christian life is going to have an adversary. It has an adversary. And you are going to experience conflict. You are going to experience a fight in your Christian life. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. This is the reality of the Christian life. There's a real devil that you can't see, but he's a real devil. And he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And someone said that, yes, he's roaring, but he has no teeth, because Christ took out his teeth. 1 Peter 5, 9, whom resists steadfast in the faith. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Paul speaks of our warfare. We're in, we're in, consider well that the Christian life is a battle. It's a fight. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Our, our conflict is not with swords and spears and knives and slings and guns and bombs and grenades. We do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're, they're not fleshly things, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And where Satan seeks to build up a stronghold in our lives, God has given us weapons of truth that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, Casting down imaginations and thoughts and reasonings in our minds. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's the battle you're in. That you are in a fight of of your mind. You're in a, a fight of your thoughts. And you're in a fight in which, in which you need to put off your old way of thinking. And you need to put on a new way of thinking according to God's word. And God has given you the power to do it, but you cannot do it in yourself. Paul tells Timothy to wage the good warfare. And he tells him to fight the good fight of faith. The Christian life is a fight. It's a battle. It's a warfare. We have real enemies, and and we are going to have to engage in this conflict, but we have power, and that's the first thing he tells us. Paul, at the end of his life, said in 2 Timothy 4-7, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. I have fought a good fight. (laughs) He was a soldier. And he had fought a good fight. You remember he talked about that with the Corinthians, that, that I buffet my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means I myself should be a castaway, a docimos, disapproved, rejected. 
And so we have, we're in a conflict and we have real spiritual enemies. He says, put on the whole armor of God in verse 11, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He is an enemy. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I won't go into all the words, and I won't try to unfold all the meanings of those words, but we are in a real battle with real forces of evil. Maybe one thing we can, we can draw out of this is that Satan does have organization, that Satan does have an army that's organized. But we are fighting against real spiritual enemies. Invisible, but real. And Satan is a liar, and we're up against a liar. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. You can be sure that if you're having thoughts of suicide, that Satan is involved, just as he was with Saul in the Old Testament, and just as he was involved with Judas in the New Testament, both of whom committed suicide. Satan came, comes to steal and kill and destroy. He even masquerades as an angel of light, even though he himself is darkness. He will come to you in such a way that what he says seems good and seems right, as he did with Eve in the Garden of Eden. He is a wolf who comes in sheep's clothing. He comes looking like the good shepherd, but he's a wolf, deceiving us. The evil one has deceptive ways to attack us. In this real battle with real enemies, the evil one has deceptive ways to attack us. In verse 11, Paul speaks of standing against the wiles of the devil. He tries to deceive and stumble believers. The wiles of the devil, the trickery, the deceptions of the devil. He has methods and strategies. And he has spent a lot of time thinking upon these things and working against humanity. He has methods and strategies and evil plans and schemes where he schemes against us. He uses people just like Eve. He used Eve in the fall of Adam. Like Peter seeking to discourage Christ from going to the cross. He will seek to attack you in your everyday lives, at home, at work, at church, and everywhere you go. Don't think that Satan doesn't go to church. And don't think that when you walk in the front door of your house, that Satan may not be lurking somewhere around the corner. Those of you who preach know that sometimes troubles come that are very unusual right before you step out the door to go preach. We're not preaching against our families here. We're just saying that the evil one uses people. 
I would say that there have been times where Satan has used all of us in one way or another. By our not being on guard, by our not, our not availing ourselves of the power of Christ in our lives, by not knowing his word as we ought to know it. Paul speaks of the evil day. He says, "Wherefore, verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. And so he talks about something that he calls the evil day. Not every day is the evil day. But the evil day is a day when Satan seeks to carry out his plans, his schemes, his methods, his strategies against us. And I'll give you some examples. David had his evil day with Bathsheba. When David should have been out in the battlefield with his men, David was sleeping on his couch. He arose and he went out on the veranda and there he saw a beautiful woman. And it was his evil day that led to murder and blood guiltiness and deception. Peter had his evil day when Satan sifted him like wheat and he denied the Lord. That was Peter's evil day. I think Paul had an evil day at Ephesus when the whole city was crying out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And it must have been a deafening roar as Paul heard all of these pagans, these these lost men and women crying out about this false God and he despaired of life. But God preserved him. And so consider well that you're in a battle, a fight. Consider well your God-ordained objective in the fight. And Paul says, you must stand. You must not fall for Satan's wiles. And you must wrestle, but you must stand. And so in verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13, he says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And then in verse 14, stand therefore. And he begins to talk about the armor. Stand therefore. You are not told to destroy the devil. You know, in most battles... You, you go into the battle to destroy the enemy, unless it's Vietnam or Afghanistan. You're, you're not told to destroy the enemy that has been done at the cross. You are not to crush the serpent's head. Christ did that in his work on Calvary. He cr- crushed the serpent's head. He stands judged by Christ. And God speaks that which is going to ultimately happen with Satan. He was judicially judged at the cross of Calvary. So you are to stand and to withstand. That is your objective. You are to stay on your feet. You are to keep your feet as a soldier of Christ. You are to keep your feet. You're not to fall. 
we sing the song, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. And it's not about standing up to sing. Oftentimes they would sing the song and someone would say, we can't sing this song sitting down. Stand up for Jesus. Well, this song is not about standing up in church to sing. This, this song was actually written and refers to standing up in the Christian battle. It's actually a good song, although there's a better tune for it than the one we normally sing. <clears throat> but we are to stand up for Jesus as soldiers of the cross and to lift high his royal banner. <clears throat> it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead, till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed, and shown forth in all of his lordship. So what does standing look like? Where to stand? What does that look like? It is standing against temptation to fall into sin. It is standing against temptation. It is standing against doubt and unbelief. It is standing against fear. It is standing for the truth of Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. It is standing in truth. It is standing in orthodoxy of truth, straight truth. Orthodox means, means straight. Standing in truth. We do not stand upon our merit we do not stand upon a prayer that we prayed. <clears throat> we stand upon the gospel of Christ. We stand upon the glorious blessings wherewith God has blessed us in, in our relationship with him. The songwriter says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. What does standing look like? It's holding on to that hope. It's holding on to all of the truth of Christ in his glorious person. It is holding on to all the truth of Christ in his glorious works in saving sinners on the cross of Calvary. It's holding on to Christ. It is standing in a worthy walk, as Paul outlines in Ephesians 4 through 6. It is standing in our walk. It is not falling from, from our love for our wives or our submission to our husbands or our honorable labors in our work and our relationship with the government and, and our walk in the church and our relationships in the church. It is standing for the truth and it is standing in a worthy walk as in Ephesians 4 through 6. Well, consider well the resources God has provided for your victory. And I'm not going to go through all the armor of the Christian, but just share a few general thoughts. Paul says, <clears throat> it is the whole armor of God. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You need the whole armor of God. Amen. You don't need just a few things. You need the whole armor. He says in verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. <clears throat> in verse 14 and following, he, he, he outlines that armor. And the songwriter called it gospel armor. 
Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. <clears throat> all, all of these um, pieces of armor remind us of Christ. Christ is the girdle of truth. Christ is the breastplate of righteousness. Christ is the one who gives us that preparedness of the gospel of peace. Christ is the one who, in his gospel, has given us all of the armor that we need. In Romans chapter 13, <clears throat> Paul brings that to us very clearly. And really, this has helped me to understand. I'm, I'm with Lloyd-Jones on saying that the Christian's armor is not the qualities of the Christian life, that, that we do righteousness or we, or we speak truth or something of that nature, but we are arming ourselves for the battle. And all of that armor is found in Christ. And so in Romans 13, Paul says in verse 12, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You put on Christ as you're putting on each piece of armor that God has set before us. Our armor is the Lord Jesus Christ. Each piece of armor relates to Christ, our Savior, and his work of salvation on the cross. And with this armor you will stand against the wiles of the devil, verse 11. With this armor you will be able to withstand in the evil day, verse 13. <clears throat> in a real sense, Paul, in speaking of the Christian's armor, is taking us back to chapters 1, 2, and 3. He's taking us back to the glorious salvation that we have in Christ. He began with Christ, and he ends with Christ. And Christ is our all. Colossians 2.10 says, And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You are complete in Christ. In chapter 3 of Colossians, he says, But Christ is all and in all. And so we as believers are in a battle in which we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. May God give you the grace to fight the good fight of faith. May God give me the grace. I'm 65 years old. May God give me grace to bear fruit in old age. May God give, as I enter old age, may God give me grace. You know, my mom, she's 94, and she says, well, when I get old, <laughs> well, when I get old, may God give me grace to look to Christ.
I, I used to sit with my father when he would paint. He was an artist and in his studio, and he, he said to me, Frank, some people, when they get old, they get so bitter and so crabby. And when I get old, I want to be sweet. Well, God answered that prayer in his life. But when I get old, I want to be thinking of Christ. I want to be walking in victory over sin. I want to be, I want to be overcoming in the power that God provides. And that, that provision is found in verse 10. And in that prayer in chapter 1 and in that prayer in chapter 3. If you meditate on anything, and, and maybe just one thing, just meditate on those two prayers and think about the power that God has given you in Christ. May God bless you. May God bless you to consider well the source of your strength in the Christian fight. May God bless you to consider well that the Christian life is a fight, a battle, a conflict, and that we have real spiritual enemies, and the evil one has deceptive ways of attacking us. May God give you grace to consider well your God-ordained objective in the fight, to stand and not to fall. May God give you grace to consider well the resource in Christ that God has provided for your victory. Amen. Amen. Father, bless us as we have sought to look at your word tonight. Give us grace to fight the good fight of faith, to lay hold on eternal life, to glorify Christ in all that we do and say. Forgive us for where we have failed. Lord, forgive us for where we have given place to the evil one. Give us grace to not let the sun go down on our wrath. Give us grace to redeem the time because the days are evil, because the evil one is here. Give us grace in the evil day to stand by being equipped in the whole armor of God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let us stand together. Amen. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord go with you. Amen.